Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. So good to see everybody today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving week. How many of you had an awesome Thanksgiving? Amen. It's certainly the season to be thankful and grateful for God's blessings on our lives. And we are all so very blessed indeed, aren't we? Amen. Welcome to week number five of six weeks in our counterculture series. We've been talking about cultural trends and challenges that we're facing today, how we should respond as believers. And in the spirit of thanksgiving and being thankful, I want to, uh, I want to talk about one of the struggles that we have culturally that is actually it's amplified, believe it or not, by the fact that we are so blessed as a nation. Amen? And in the spirit of thanksgiving and, and being thankful, I, I want us to understand that we have an issue here in America of abundance. It's a good thing, but it's also created a little bit of conflict in us. Amen? Most of us probably ate really well this week. Most of us probably had some delicious How many of you had a little too much? Come on. It's all right. Confession is good for the soul, amen? Amen. You put on your freshman 15 this week, right? You know, and we, you know we, we ate well. We've got pretty much everything here in America that we need. Most of us are fortunate enough to live in warm homes, and you might have spent Thanksgiving in a, in a nice, comfortable house. You were maybe watching some football and laughing with friends and family. And some of us, you might have even had enough resources this weekend to take advantage of some of the sales and started buying things for Christmas and maybe you just even bought a few things for yourself. Amen. I won't, we won't judge you today, right? <laughs> some of you, maybe you decorated your house for Christmas. And by the way, how about giving a special shout out to Jennifer Wilbur for our Christmas decorations here at Life Church in our house. Amen. Looks so good. Uh, maybe you're able to go and visit family and friends. We're blessed. We're blessed. We have so much at our fingertips that sometimes it's hard to be content with what we have when we see so much around us. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about one of the prevalent cultural mindsets that we, hear me, don't just see in those who are not Christians, but I'm going to tell you of all the lessons, this might be one that we as Christians struggle with just as much as anybody else. And that is the mindset of materialism. And I want to preach on this subject, the myth of more. The myth of more. You see, the term materialism uh, describes the belief that buying and having possessions is not just important, but it really is a key to happiness in life. It's, it's a desire for wealth or positions that can begin to consume us, and sometimes it will even supersede ethical uh, and spiritual boundaries that we have set up in our lives. It's this insatiable desire for goods or for things. Think about the word materialism in it, uh, materialism for a moment. The word has material in it, right? Materialism, it's stuff. Anything that you can see and touch, it might be a pile of clothes in your laundry basket. It might be a closet full of shoes. It might be a garage full of toys, or it could be a cabinet full of guns. It could be a driveway full of cars or a house full of expensive furniture. It could be boxes full of jewelry or a house that is full of high-tech gadgets. To be material, a thing really just has to have a physical form. Unlike our emotions or our beliefs or our thoughts, materialism is the unhealthy. Everybody say unhealthy. Out of balance, say unbalanced. Out of balance. It's the unhealthy, out of balance pursuit or desire for more. Now, don't miss that distinction. Amen. It's not just wanting stuff, right? It's the unhealthy, out of balance pursuit or the myth 
that many believe that more will make you happy. Well, pastor, what's, what's wrong with wanting nice stuff? Not a thing in the world. Amen? That's not, that's not a trick question. Everybody that I know, <laughs> probably everybody in this room, would like to have better things for themselves, including their family. Amen? I'm just going to tell you, including me, right? But materialism is not just wanting nice stuff. See, materialism is when we cross the line into being driven by lust or by greed or by pride or by image. And we have an uncontrolled or undisciplined approach to our spending habits, which cause our priorities to be neglected in pursuit of our wants. Amen. See, you buy things when, you, when this thing has got a hold of you that you can't afford. Just because you want them, you have unacceptable amounts of debt in your life because you're undisciplined enough to tell yourself no or that's enough. Am I getting close to anybody here today? Amen. <laughs> Come on. So, or, or you can't pay your bills or you can't pay your tithes because you've gotten your priorities all out of alignment. And I, I would rather take another trip or I'd rather go out to eat again. Or I'd rather buy me some new shoes or get a new toy or buy a new iPhone or, or buy whatever instead of giving faithfully to my church or, or paying my bills on time, right? Or saving any money. See, it's a real problem, not only in America as a whole, but it's a problem in the church. It's a problem in the body of Christ, right? So let's go to the Bible this morning for our text as we unpack this subject today. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. It says, serving God does make us very rich. If, everybody say if. If we're satisfied with what we have. <laughs> we brought nothing into this world so we could take nothing out. But if we have food and clothes, we will be satisfied with that. See, that's the goal. That's not the reality, though, is it? Come on, somebody. Verse 9. Those who want to become rich bring temptations to themselves and are caught in a trap they want many foolish and harmful things that ruin and destroy people. The love of money causes all kinds of evil. Some people have left the faith because they wanted to get more money, but they have caused themselves much sorrow. Now, with Thanksgiving having just passed, and I told somebody this morning, to me, Thanksgiving is not over until tomorrow morning. Amen. But with Thanksgiving having just passed, I hope you've taken time this week to give thanks. Come on, before we just rush right into this Christmas season, I hope you've taken time to give thanks. Because here's what Gallup estimates that on average, as far as Christmas is concerned, Americans will spend about $923 per person on Christmas. Now, some of you are going to spend more than that. Some of you are like, well, ain't no way I'm spending that much money. I don't know. But that's the average. Because you know what? We are a nation that loves our stuff. Last year, we spent almost $40 billion just on toys at Christmas. See, it's almost impossible to escape materialism. We're a nation that is consumed with consuming, right? And the problem is it's catching up to us. We have overspent for decades. Our national debt is collapsing the economy. Amen. Nowhere can you live the way our government operates. That's another subject for another day, but it's absolute chaos. To think we can spend money that we don't have. Amen. Total credit card debt in America is now at a record $930 billion. That's an 18.5% spike from last year. The average family in America has over $5,800 of credit card debt. With a few rare exceptions, the main reason is because we want more. That's the bottom line. If there's a single word that summarizes America's hope and obsessions, that's it. M O R-E, more. More money, more success, more luxuries, the next raise, a bigger house, more stuff. More eating out, more clothes, more guns, more fishing equipment. Better tools, better toys, nicer furniture. We live for more. And so often we forget about the stuff that we already have. See, the Greek philosopher Epicurus once said this. He said, do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. Remember that what you now have was once among the things you only hoped for. Ah, oh, that's so true, right? 
Come on, we are tired of driving that car that one day we were thrilled to get the keys to, right? We don't want to wear those clothes anymore because I bought those a few years ago and now they're out of style. That house that was one day your dream house, it ain't so dreamy anymore, right? That kitchen you used to love, oh, it would just be so much better if I got dropped $50,000 on a remodel. The list goes on and on and on. It's the myth of more, right? The myth that says more will make me happy. Why do we always want more? What motivates us to always want more? What is it that tempts us to keep spending ourselves into debt? What motivates us to never be or never stay satisfied with what we have? Let me just quickly give you a few myths before we talk about solutions today. Number one, one of the myths is we believe that having more will make us happier. The pop-up ads, the commercials, our neighbors, our friends, it all tells us that. So it must be true, right? Have you ever seen a car commercial where anybody looks sad? No, it's usually Matthew McConaughey standing there or some pretty lady. And they've got this beautiful, they're driving through. I don't know where they're filming these places, but I want to go visit. They're driving down these amazing roads. Or you see them taking off across the salt flats. And they've got a smile on their face. And, man, the wind is whipping through their hair. I've never seen a car commercial where they showed somebody sitting at the table with their checkbook going, Oh, my Lord. What have I done? <laughs> Amen. See, the truth is, though, hear me, things can bring happiness. I'd be lying if I said otherwise, right? No stuff or nice stuff. If you give me a choice, I'm going to choose nice stuff, right? Less stuff or more stuff. I'm going to probably choose more stuff. I'm just being real. But hear me. Here's the problem. It's only temporary. It's just for a while. Things do make you happy. Right? If you get a gift, you're happy about it. If you get something new, you enjoy it. But it eventually wears off. The new wears off. It doesn't last very long. And after a while, the excitement of a new gadget fades. New cars become old. Fancy shoes wear out. Come on, somebody. Expensive restaurant meals don't make you any fuller or for any longer than eating at home or eating someplace reasonably priced. Having more brings happiness that doesn't last. Every year at Christmas... You know, in our family, we like to ask each other what we want. And sometimes we'll make lists on Amazon, you know, Christmas wish lists. And, and at this season of my life, if I'm just being real honest, I pretty much have everything I need, right? I mean, and if I don't, I'll just go to Target or Walmart or I'll go to Costco and I'll buy what I need. I'll go to Home Depot. If I need something, I buy it, right? That's a good place to be in life, right? So I pretty much, if I need a pack of socks, I'll go get a pack of socks. I'm not waiting till my birthday, amen. I'm going to go buy me some socks. Right? So, and I admit, it's kind of hard to buy for people like me. So my kids will ask me, and they'll say, and I'll pick some stuff out, and I'll put it on the wish list. Or maybe, you know, I, sometimes I'll even stop at Coles and buy something, and then I give it to Robin. and I say, here, give me this at Christmas, right? <laughs> Anybody else ever done that, right? By the way, can I just tell you, once you get in November, in my house, you're not allowed to buy anything for yourself without calling it Christmas. Amen. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to wait six more weeks, right? I'm going to give you that for Christmas. See, but sometimes I want something that's not all that practical. Anybody else like that? Sometimes, don't you get tired of socks and underwear, right, all the time? So last year, for example, my family asked me what I want. I started thinking, I said, you know what I really like? I like a reasonably priced telescope. Now, I know that seems random. So I picked an affordable one out on Amazon. Robin got it for me, and it made me so happy for like five minutes. By the way, I'm going to give you a public service announcement. Cheap is not a good idea for a telescope, right? <laughs> Don't cut corners on your telescope purchases, right? But do you know how many times I've used it? Twice. I can't see real good out of it. I can't seem to get the lenses in focus, so I just gave up trying. You know, so it made me happy. Everybody say for a minute. Right? Two or three years ago, same questions. I've already got my sock drawers full, my underwear drawers full. So, Dad, what would you like? And I thought, you know what? How about a GoPro? I mean, since I'm so active, right? You know, since I'm always doing risky, exciting things. 
So I got to feel myself, you know, the next time I go cliff diving or alligator wrestling. So, yeah, a GoPro be great. So you know what? My family got me a GoPro. You know how many times I've used it? Never. You know, filming yourself pouring coffee is just not that exciting, right? <laughs> now, my son-in-law, Xavier, he used it for our men's rafting trip, and we had a great video that we put together. But, folks, I've never used it. You know why? Because sometimes new things are fun for a while, but the happiness just doesn't last. Stuff that you think you want or need, sometimes you find out, you know what, I didn't really need that. New stuff doesn't make you happy for very long, amen? And the proof of that is, how many of you are still thrilled over a Christmas gift from last year? Some of you, how many of you can't even remember what you got for Christmas last year? See, that, see, that, see that's just the proof, right? Here's what Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 says. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Shame on you if we find out you got any coin in your pocket. Amen. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? He said, how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Having more may make you feel happier for the short term, but it doesn't last it doesn't bring true happiness. Here's another myth of more. Are you ready? Having more will make me more important. Right? <clears throat> See, some people, we, we never say it, but that's kind of how they live their life. The misconception of I am what I own. My, my valuables determine my value. If I have little, then I must be worth little. But if I have much, I must be worth much. So since I want to be liked and respected and looked up to and admired, i got to continue to just get more and more and more and more. That's a myth. It's a lie that the enemy has sold us. But having more things does not make you more important, at least not to the people who should matter. Can I say that, right? It's amazing what people will pay for a status symbol. Some people will pay quadruple the price for a shirt because it has a certain logo on the front. It is still made out of cotton and probably in the same factory. As the off-brand, but we pay, we pay for the logo because it makes us feel more important. Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. But notice this, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. Net worth does not equal self-worth. Notice the scripture says, be on your guard. We've got to continually evaluate ourselves, continually check ourselves. Is this really going to make me happy when I consider what it is going to cost me? Am I expecting this to make me appear more important? Don't believe that lie. First myth, having more will make me happier. Second myth, having more will make me more important. Here's the third myth, having more will make me more secure. If I could just achieve financial independence, have you ever heard that one? Have you ever said that one, right? The truth is, the more you have, the more insecure you may end up being because there is more that you have to worry about. The more you have, the more time and energy it takes to maintain it. The more you have, the more insurance you have to pay to insure it, right? The weird truth is that the less you have, the less you have to worry about it. I don't ever have to worry about my yacht. You know why? I don't have one. Now, if you have a yacht, God bless you. Please call me. I'd love to take a ride on that thing. Amen. I don't have to worry about my Bentley. I don't own one. I don't have to worry about anybody stealing my, my Rolex watch. I don't have one. I've got an Apple watch. Amen. I don't have to. See, but you worry about stuff that you think will make you feel more secure. Look what Ecclesiastes 5 and 12. I love this. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. In other words, it's saying normal, everyday people, they can put their head on their pillow at night and go to sleep and be blessed with what they have. But rich people, I'm not condemning rich people, but there's a, there's a level of anxiety that comes with more. What's the rich guy worrying about? How am I going to save it? How am I going to invest it? How am I going to maintain it? How am I going to insure it? How am I going to avoid taxes? How am I going to keep people from stealing it? One study of people who could not sleep, guess what? It said that insomnia increased with income levels. The more money you make, the more likely it is you're going to have sleepless nights. Why? Because you worry about it more. Folks, don't base your security on how much you've acquired because you can lose it all. 
just like that. Proverbs 18 and 11, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. We see it all the time, folks. People lose money in business or in poor investments. Money can be gone in a flash. The only real security is found when you place your security in something that cannot be taken away from you. Come on, somebody. And the only thing that cannot be taken away from you is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. So how do we combat the myth of more? Let me give you a few ideas today. Uh, uh, but let me give you a, a scripture that wraps all this up in one verse. Are you ready? 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Amen. That is good advice for all of us. For some of us, that's a goal. For some of us, that's just like, Wow. Food and clothes, that's enough? Well, according to the Scripture. See, the key, the magic bullet, the daily mindset that conquers the myth of more, learning to live in contentment. Learning to live in contentment. I don't mean that you can't ever want more. You can't ever earn more. You can't ever acquire more. You can't ever be more. That's not at all what I'm talking about. Have ambition. Have godly ambition. Work hard. Save. Be diligent. Let the Lord bless you. Amen. But contentment means what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.11. He said, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. So how do you learn to be content? Notice you do have to learn it. Did you catch that part? Don't forget that. It does not come automatically, right? And not always want more to an unhealthy extreme. Well, each week in the series, <coughs> I try to give us some practical things to do, right? To address the issue of the culture, to address the issue that I'm talking about. I want to do that right now. I want to spend the rest of my message giving us some points on how we can conquer the myth of more. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Don't play the comparison game. If you don't want materialism to get a hold of you, if you don't want to believe the lies of the myth of more, first of all, stop playing the comparison game. you got to stop comparing yourself to other people. God made you unique. You're not even one in a million. You are one in billions. Hallelujah. Come on. Nobody else is you. God doesn't make clones. He doesn't make copies. Even identical twins are different. You cannot copy anybody else. You are unique. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Did you catch that? He says, We don't dare play the comparison game. It's not wise. But here's the problem, folks. We all do it to some degree. We do. And we all deny that we do it, right? The, one of the greatest, most popular sports in America is comparing. Amen. So you may not even realize you're doing it, right? You walk into somebody's house, the first thing you do, you start making comparisons. Oh, I love that floor. Oh, look at those countertops. Man, look at the size of that television. And see, that's all well and good. Until it starts making you resent your house. My countertops, oh, they look horrible. <laughs> they start making you envious to buy things you can't afford. I didn't even know they made a TV that big. Let's go to Best Buy on the way home, right? Making you want things that you don't necessarily have to have. Or, or maybe you go, man, I love the way she does her hair. I wish I had hair. Or, or I really wish I had a car like that. Or why don't my kids act like that? Or I wish I had that job. I wish I had his money or her money. I wish I had their looks. Can everybody hear what I'm talking about here? we got to stop playing that comparison game. Comparison will keep you frustrated. Sometimes it's just this little ripple of discontent that just keeps bubbling to the surface. Right? You, you can't ever rejoice when somebody else gets a blessing because you're always just like, there's this little saltiness in you. It's like, it should have been me. Right? You know, folks, we got to stop that. If you're going to learn the peace of God, you've got to stop comparing everything around you to what you have. Envy is the girlfriend of ingratitude. It is. They work together like bread and butter. 
We've got to learn to admire without feeling the need to acquire. Amen? That's the principle of living a contented life. You need to learn to rejoice in other people's prosperity without getting jealous and envious and feeling like you have to have it too. Amen? You need to learn to admire. Man, that's a nice car you've got. That's a nice backyard you've got without having to acquire. This is one of the great principles that we as Americans don't understand. Here's what you do. The next time, if you want to help yourself, you walk into somebody's house and they got something really nice that you don't have, instead of starting to get discontent and envious, just slide over in the corner and say this little prayer to yourself. Say, thank God I don't have their credit card payments. <laughs> thank God I don't have this mortgage. Amen. See, see what, what we're talking about, stop comparing yourself. This is not just a good idea to help you beat the desire for more. Did you know this is also called a sin in the Bible? It is. In fact, it's such a serious sin, God put it in the big ten. Amen. The Ten Commandments, it's right up there with don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't rip somebody off and steal. You know what the Tenth Commandment is? Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Amen. Don't look at them and go, man, I wish I had that. What is coveting? It's a word we don't use a whole lot today, so let me define it for you. The word covet in Hebrew in the Old Testament literally means to pant after. I want that so bad. The word in the Greek means to grab or to grasp so tightly that your hands are tight and you cannot let go. That's coveting. When we get possessed by our possessions. And by the way, folks, let me say this. If you've been blessed and God's been good to you, but if you own anything, a house, a car, a bank account, a nice guitar, a nice shotgun, and if God was to tell you to give it away and you are not free enough to give it away, you don't own it. It owns you. Amen. If you can't say, you know what, the Lord gives and the Lord is that, then it's got a hold on you. That's why a lot of Christians struggle. Even with giving, with faithful tithes and offerings. You know, sure, we can throw a few bucks in the plate when we feel like it or go online and give a couple dollars. But we can't give away what God asks us to give away because the love of our possessions is too strong. Folks, don't fall into the coveting and comparing and the envy game, which is I've got to have more, more, more. Don't play the comparison game. Here's number two. Are you ready? Enjoy what you do have. Enjoy what you do have. Ecclesiastes 6 and 9 from the New Living Translation. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. There is a sermon in a sentence right there. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. Like chasing the wind. See, too often we're so busy going after what we want that we don't stop and enjoy what we've already got. Amen. How many people do you know who go out and get overextended to buy a beautiful house and then they are never at home because they got to work two or three jobs just to pay for it, right? They can't serve at church because they're at work all the time. They can't give at church because they got such a high mortgage and tons of debt and out of control credit cards and student loan debt and three car payments. Come on. They don't enjoy what they've got because they're so busy making money to get more or to just pay for what they have. And they get caught in this trap and they can't even get out. They cannot see a way out. You've got to just stop and enjoy what you have. Amen. You do know that God wants us to enjoy life, right? He does. He doesn't just want us to endure it. He wants us to enjoy it. God gave you taste buds. And then he created coffee. He created Krispy Kreme donuts. Come on. He created pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving, right? He wants us to enjoy life. Look at God, right? Won't he do it? Hallelujah. God gave us eardrums, and then he gave us music. He gave us the sound of the ocean. He gave us the cooing that a little baby makes. Ain't nothing like the sound of a baby. He gave us eyesight, and then he created sunsets and flowers. And he gave us our beautiful children that we love to just look at. I was so tickled last night. Evan and Lauren got home from New Jersey last night. And he was just sitting there on the couch with her. And he t Lauren was in the kitchen doing something. And, Lauren, and Evan said, hey, Lauren, if you get a minute, just come in here real quick. And she said, what? He said, just look at her. He said, she looks so cute right now. And he, I just looked over and he's just sitting there holding her, just staring at her. 
You know, and I just thought, God gives us that. So we can enjoy what we have. He could have made the whole world in all black and white, but he didn't. It's all for our enjoyment. Oceans and mountains and snowfall. All beauty. And I'm ready to see a little snow. I know it's early, but come on, January will be here. Hallelujah. Come on, snow. God did it all for our benefit. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, says that everything on earth was given to us from God for our enjoyment. See, that's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of God that we serve. Ecclesiastes 5.19. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. Man, stop and read. Let me read that verse to you again. Look. When God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is what? A gift from God. Hallelujah. But did you know that some of those responsibilities are ours? We have to enjoy those gifts. We have to accept his lot. We have to be happy in his work. See, the myth of more makes us envious and greedy instead of grateful. And we need to be more grateful for what we do have. Open your eyes and just appreciate what God has already given you, right? In the spirit of thanksgiving, we've got to be thankful, folks, because we are blessed. You say, well, yeah, those rich people are blessed. Everybody, yeah, we understand that. They are. Did you know that over one billion people in our world do not even have electricity? One billion. Over two billion do not have any form of refrigeration. Amen. Did you know that 60, and these are all hot off the press statistics. Did you know that 60% of the people in the world do not have a toilet or do not have one that safely removes waste? 60% of the people in the world. Around 2 billion people around the world do not have access to clean and safe drinking water. And we live in America where we're so bougie we can't act like we can't even drink water out of a tap anymore. I got a bottle of water. <laughs> we, we got the best water in the world. And we're not even thankful for it unless you live in Detroit. Amen. But we've got so much. And we're not even thankful for it. 3.6 billion people, 46% of the world's population, lack adequate sanitation services. You know how we hear about the one percenters? Everybody hears about the one percenters, the wealthiest people in America. Well, guess what? If you look at the entire world, if you earn $60,000 a year after taxes, and if you don't have kids, you're in the richest 1% of the entire world's population. If you have a household income, hear me, of $130,000, and you've got a partner or a spouse and one kid, you are in the richest 1% of the people in the world. In the world. Now, see, we don't think we're rich. You know why? It's the myth of more. We're looking around, we're looking at everybody else's stuff, but here's the thing about comparing. If you're going to play the comparison game, compare yourself to the rest of the world while you're at it. Because you're in the top 1 or 2 or 3% of people in the entire world. And you know what I think we ought to stop right now and do? And just say, thank you, God, I don't deserve it, but thank you that I live in this country that I live in and that I have what I have. Can we do that? Can we just take 15 seconds and thank the Lord for what we have? God, I'm so grateful. I'm thankful for a warm building today. I'm thankful for a padded chair to sit on. I'm thankful for beautiful music that I just heard. I'm thankful for shoes on my feet, a car to drive home, leftover turkey in my refrigerator. God, I'm so thankful. We suffer from the winds. When this happens, then I'll be happy. When I get this, I will be happy. When I get a boyfriend, then I'll be happy. When I get married or when I get divorced, I'll be happy. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. When my kids go off to school, then I'll be happy. When my kids get married and leave the house, then I'll be happy. When I get my kids grow up and get grandkids and come back home, then I'll be happy. But you hear, here's what I know. You are as happy as you choose to be. Happiness really is a choice. Because if you're not happy now, hear me, you're not going to be happy later. You're as happy as you choose to be. We always think, well, I'd be happy if I had more. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. There's two ways to have enough. Are you ready? I'm going to give you some gold right now. 
two ways. One's hard, one's easy. Are you ready? This is worth the price of admission today. Here's how you have enough. Number one, you either work harder and longer and you make more money. That's the hard way. Or number two, you want less. That's the easy way. <laughs> That's the easy way. And it's your choice. You can work more or you can want less. That's how you're going to have enough. Is it possible, by the way, to be wealthy and not be materialistic? Absolutely it is. Amen. Some of the godliest people I know are wealthy. I'm talking wealthy by American standards. We're all wealthy. I already told you. We're all wealthy by the world standards. And I don't have time to unpack this today, but if, if there's four preconditions in 1 Timothy 6, 17, and 18. You can go home and read about it. That says you can be rich and still not be materialistic. It says, and I'm just paraphrasing, uh, it says as long as you don't become proud of your wealth, as long as you don't put trust in your wealth, as long as you make sure and be rich in good works, and if you be generous and be willing to share. It says if you check all four of those boxes, get as rich as you want, baby. Come on, Bill Gates, bring it. Come on, the next Jeff Bezos, come on, bring it, do it. But you got to check those four boxes. Want to beat the myth of more? Stop paying the, playing the comparison game. Enjoy what you do have and be grateful. And number three, give cheerfully and faithfully. Amen. Giving is the antidote to materialism. It is. You say, I'm not materialistic. Well, that's great. Let me ask you a question. How generous are you? How generous are you? And by the way, if you get irritated or uncomfortable when anybody starts talking about giving or tithing, you are either materialistic, number one, or you're under conviction about not giving cheerfully and faithfully. Uh, don't everybody get quiet on me. Y'all been, been amening me the last four weeks. <laughs> oh, pastor, thanks for digging into the tough stuff. Amen. Well, I'm digging into some tough stuff right now. Amen. Right? I want to say thank you to everybody in this church that gives faithfully and cheerfully of your tithes and offerings. Amen. Let's give them a hand. But do you want to know what the sad truth is? Most of you don't. I said it. Amen. Come on. One reason God asked us to tithe is to help break the grip of materialism in our lives and the control of money in our lives. You cannot outgive God. And there are more promises in the Bible regarding giving than anything else. Why is it that God has made so many promises related to our giving? I think it's because God knows that when we give, we become more like Him. Generosity is an expression of love. Cheerful giving is an expression of faith. And tithing is a sign of discipline and faithfulness. It is. Amen. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. See, the first and most important way to give as a believer is through tithing. Everybody say tithing. That is giving the first 10% of your income back to God through your local church. Amen. I'm not going to take the time today to unpack all the scriptural support of tithing. I'll maybe uh, do that next year. But tithing does several things for us. Number one, it shows our gratitude. Shows our gratitude. When I write out my tithing Kingdom Builders offering check every week, or if you give online, or I set up my giving to be automatic so I don't forget or I don't cheat, you know what I'm saying? Lord, I am grateful for the fact that if it weren't for you, I would not have anything. Hallelujah. Tithing is an expression of gratitude. Tithing, number two, also reminds me who is first in my life. It does. When I give my tithes and my offering, it's reminding me that God is in first place. It is saying, God, I want you in first place in every area of my life. I want you in first place in my marriage, in my business, in my time, in my recreation, in my finances. It reminds me to put God first. Before I pay any bills, that first check. Is made out because I'm a member of Life Church, to Life Church, for my tithes and my Kingdom Builders offering. Here's another reason why tithing is so important. Number three, it is a step of faith for the future. Amen. I am demonstrating, God, I'm giving to you, and I'm realizing that you're going to bless me back in the future. I am going to trust you to take care of me. Amen. And hear me, folks. Some of you are never going to be as blessed as you could be as you should be because you refuse to be faithful in your giving. Come on, I'm not just trying to dig in your pockets today. I'm trying to help you see how to become blessed 
blessed beyond measure. Amen. Your future depends on your faithfulness. Tithing is saying to God, God, I've got faith in you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to honor you with my wealth right off the top. I'm going to take 10% right off. And when I make uh, of whatever I'm making, I'm going to give it back to you. Tithing is a tenth, by the way, folks. And anything less is not a tithe. It's really simple. Look at your check and give 10%. Plus an offering if you want an added blessing. Amen. And if you want to secure your future, don't rob God. Right? What does the Bible say? Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. And look at verse 10. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall far from the vine, because they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your lamb will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Amen. Come on, God says, I dare you. Try me. Put me to the test. Prove to him by giving faithfully and cheerily, because giving is the antidote to materialism. So here's my challenge to you, Life Church member, Life Church leader, Christian. I want to challenge you to close your year as a tither. You can still do it. Commit, not only to close, but commit to next year to being a faithful giver. Put God to the test. Stop making excuses. Just do it. Set yourself up on automated giving if you need to, right? Do whatever you got to do to be faithful because giving faithfully, hear me, it will break the back of materialism in your life. Amen. Number four, we got to think eternal and not temporal. If you want to break the myth of more, think eternal and not temporal. Colossians 3 and 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. We got to look at life from God's viewpoint, realizing all our possessions are just temporary. Amen. They're all temporary. Everything material is going to eventually vanish. So we got to give ourselves the eternal priorities. Nothing material that is around us is going to last forever. Even this building one day. And thank God we built this to the glory of God. One day, if the Lord tarries, this thing is going to rust. It's going to fall over. This building's going to be gone. If we live 200 years, who knows? This building might, might still be here. Or this building might be covered up with whatever kind of stuff they're building 200 years from now if the Lord tarries. One day we may outgrow this building to God be the glory and we may move on to something else. Who knows what will happen, amen? But hear me, we got to think eternal and not temporal. And there's only two things that are eternal. You know what they are? The Word of God and the people that God puts into your life. That's it, amen. The Word of God, Luke 12, 15. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The word of God is what is going to last forever. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Folks, that's why you need to read your Bible. Come on, base your worldview and your life choices on it. That's another challenge. If you don't read your Bible every day, read your Bible every day. And if you don't read it one day, don't just give up. Pick your Bible back up the next day. I'm going to say this. There's never been a time in the history of the world where it's easier to read the Bible than right now. Y'all see this? Every version of the Bible you want is right on there. You can even have somebody read it to you. Everybody say, get in the Word. Amen. Dr. James Dobson said this. Uh, musicians, praise team, come on up. He said, I've concluded that the accumulation of wealth even if I could achieve it, is an insufficient reason for living. When I reach the end of my days, a moment or two from now, I must look backwards on something more meaningful than the pursuit of houses and lands and machines and stocks and bonds. Nor is fame of any lasting benefit. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can recall a loving family, consistent investments in the lives of people, and an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me. Amen. And that brings me to my last point. If you want to break the back of materialism, live with gratitude and thanksgiving. Amen.
Folks, we got so much to be grateful for in this life. Every single day. But the reality is, and if I'm keeping it real again, sometimes life's constant demands and battles and worries, it gives way more to defeat and worry than to a heart of thanksgiving. Or maybe we forget in the midst of busyness and pressures just maybe to pause and just give thanks for all that God has done and continues to do in our lives. Sometimes it really is a sacrifice to offer praise and thanksgiving. Sometimes you may not feel like it. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're weary. Maybe, maybe you feel like God has let you down. Maybe you think God feels distant like he's far away or he doesn't really care about what's troubling you. But folks, we have a choice every day to give God thanks. And with a heart of gratitude, we realize that no matter what we face, hear me, God doesn't just work to change our situations. He doesn't just work to change our problems. But God is at work to help us change our hearts. Amen? Help us change our hearts. His power releases the grip that our struggles have over us. No matter what your current situation is, here's what choosing to be thankful and grateful can do for you. Number one, it gets your eyes off yourself. Helps you focus back on God. It reminds us that we are not in control, but that we serve a mighty God who is. Being thankful helps us recognize that we have so much to be grateful for, even all the little things which we so often forget to thank Him for. Like I said earlier, we need to enjoy what we do have. Gratitude takes our attention off our problems and helps us instead to reflect on the goodness of God and His blessings. Gratitude reminds us that God is the giver of all good gifts. Folks, we're never intended to be fully self-sufficient in this life. And a grateful heart reminds us of God's ultimate power. I want you to stand with me. Psalm 103, verse 1. And why don't you lift your hands as we read this together? Can we do that? Let's just read it along on the screen. A Psalm of David. It says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise His holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Read it with me. May I never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I asked our praise team to sing the same song that we sang last week because I thought it was so good. It's called Gratitude. And what a day, what a weekend to remember how blessed we are above all people. Folks, I said it before, there's nothing wrong with wanting more stuff. I think it's healthy for all of us to have ambition and to want to better our lives and to better our families. But don't ever let the lie of the enemy tell you that what you have is not enough. Or that what you have does not make you blessed and favored in God's eyes. And just ask the Lord, Lord, whatever state I'm in, Lord, I just want to be content. I want to be grateful when blessings come. I want to give faithfully and cheerfully. I want to love others. Help me, Lord, to not get caught in the trap of materialism. Ask God to help you break that grip. How am I going to do it? I'm going to stop playing the comparison game. I'm going to enjoy what I do have. I'm going to start tithing and giving faithfully and cheerfully. I'm going to think eternal and not temporal. And I'm going to live a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. Amen. So, why don't we take a moment and just step out from where you are. And as a moment of thanksgiving, just walk down to this front and say, God, I am so grateful for every blessing I have in my life. I'm so grateful, God, for every good thing that you've done in my life. I'm so grateful for all of your blessings, all of your favor. And I just want to tell you that today, God. Come on, that's right. God, I just want to thank you. Come on, and if you are caught in any of that trap of materialism, ask God to help you shift your priorities. Ask Him to help you shift your focus. Ask Him to help you to make the commitments that you need to make. So that I have is a Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know it's not much 
now. Yes. God, I give you praise. I give you praise. Thank you for every blessing in my life. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Oh, folks, we're blessed. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So I throw up my hands praise you again. Join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.